Hello, welcome to the Joyce Live Curiously podcast. Live connected. I'm Peter Wong, and alongside my co-host Ching Siu Wei. Hello, and welcome back. This is Wei. All right, Wei. Has anything inspired you recently? I've been flying a lot, and unlike most, I really enjoy reading on the plane. For one instance, I forgot to bring my book and find myself turning on the entertainment system to explore what was available. And there was actually a documentary on the 50th anniversary of Woodstock that caught my attention. It's quite lengthy, but I finished it even though I was dozing off throughout the theme. I ended up learning quite a lot about the event and the start of the festival. How about you, Peter? What have you been up to recently? Well, it's been more or less the same. I watched a few music-related movies recently, like Freddie Mercury's Bohemian Rhapsody and an Elton John film. Woodstock was pretty much around the same time. A lot happened during the 60s and 70s in the artists and music industry. Okay, for the second episode of the Neve Connected podcast, we have the pleasure of inviting Hong Kong music critic Wong Chi Tong. He's an old friend of mine. And not only has he worked in the music industry, but he's been also in the education sector recently. Chi Chung is currently the head of general education at the University of Hong Kong. We are delighted to have him as our guest today, as we dive into everything music-related, from Woodstock to how music inspires, connects, and drives our curiosity. Let's kick off the conversation since it all begins with music. Since we are talking about music, it's only appropriate we invite the most qualified person to have this conversation. Everyone is qualified to talk about music. Actually, is a universal language. Well, we have been friends for a long time. Right, we're here to catch up more than anything, right? Yeah, we are all quite familiar with Ji Chong and his work as a music critic. In recent years, you've also branched out to education. Education, indeed. There's a lot to dissect between music and education. Perhaps you can share some of your experiences with us. Sure thing. Music is such a broad topic, and there's so much we can dive into. Since it's the 50th anniversary of the Woodstock Festival last year, let's reflect on Woodstock in particular. After 50 years of the festival, do you think Woodstock still carries any symbolic meaning in our generation or in Hong Kong? Maybe even in the future? Of course. First of all,、uh, thank you for the invite. It's a great occasion to catch up. We have worked together extensively for magazines, and now we're recording a podcast episode. I remember going on trips like this to write features. I have images in black and white Kodak film that I took with a film camera. It was the 25th anniversary of Woodstock,、um, 1994. Yeah, it was the first major music festival that I've been to in Europe or America. Since then, I had chances to go to other festivals in the UK, like Glastonbury and Reading, Fuji Rock, and Summer Sonic in Japan,、uh, and I learned a lot from Woodstock. It's like what I said、uh, about the documentary. An enthusiast organized a screening for it, so we watched the movie on the silver screen. I was blown away. It was a paradise of hippies and a watershed. As a kid, I was curious about it. After watching that documentary. The editing left an impression, and it won the best documentary at the Oscars. And if my memory serves me correctly, it was around the beginning of the 70s, and the festival happened around August 1969. That seed was planted in me and has been growing ever since. I wasn't nurtured by hippies, but I believe we all share the same sentiments for the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Swinging London, the ones that were fashion and trendy. So now, in the 21st century, things like Woodstock, the Beatles, Lennon, 
are constantly being revived. I think with these icons, their spirit and philosophy are the most valuable assets we have. And I've been working on music courses and in general education at HKU over the last decade. During my last semester, I did a four-week feature about Wistock. The students and I have watched different documentaries for four consecutive weeks while listening to all the records and reading stories from that era. I shared my experience with them from 25 years ago. How muddy it was, how cold it could be, uh, how I almost had to hitch a ride on a police cruiser to go back to the hotel in town, and how I even made it back to Hong Kong for work. There are many stories like that. No one could imagine me 25 years ago being chill and all, and it's all a beautiful accident. I watched a movie by Ang Lee, by the way, and you may be familiar with it, Taking Woodstock. It was about 10 years ago. It was shot during the festival's 40th anniversary. In fact, Ang Lee is a Woodstock baby. According to his melodramatic version, the organizer has taken an unknown substance that made him happy. And during the press conference, he went like, oh, this is a free festival. And after the news got out, everyone went. It's not in New York City, but instead it's in upstate New York. It took around one to two hours to get there normally. But that day, there were more than 100,000 people stuck in traffic. And in the end, they couldn't get in there. And as I watched this documentary, I found it featured as many myths as there are stars. There was one person that should have been there, Bob Dylan. His house was actually around the area, and he should have performed in the 60s. But he did at the festival's 25th anniversary. Yes, correct. One of the reasons I had gone to the Woodstock for the 25th anniversary was for him. He had not been in Hong Kong for shows at that time yet, but after that, he came numerous times. During the 25th anniversary festival, new bands were debuting like Green Day, representing the so-called pop-punk culture. But there was also another band, my favorite, the Cranberries. Their big hit, Dream, was really popular back then. They have only just made the debut, and it was my first time seeing them live. Wow, that kind of youth and energy was overwhelming. There were also big names like Nine Inch Nails. The angle was just right and I could see the side of the backstage a bit from above. Everyone was clean, but to celebrate the mud people culture at Woodstock, uh, Nine Inch Nails, they just roll in the mud before getting on the stage. It was an amazing holistic experience. Another big name was Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I saw them live for the first time. Wow. You may say, Woodstock spirit is the 1960s cliche, sex and drugs and rock and roll. We could smell the scent of drugs everywhere, um, mostly marijuana. I don't know if it's because of the effect of the smell or not, but when the frontman of Red Hot Chili Peppers sat on stage, may all the ladies take off your clothes, and they all did, and swing around their t-shirts. And when I look around, I was young at that time, and so overwhelmed by the festival experience that I didn't even take pictures. But it's all coming back to me thinking about it now. It's just one of the many things that happened. From what you said, the origin of Woodstock is a mystery. Maybe the organizer didn't have any big dreams or whatever, and it just happened. But since it started, it has evolved to something that people are looking forward to because of its goal and its spirit. During the 25th anniversary, did you feel any different after going there? Any surprises or disappointments? 
hmm, it was definitely beyond my expectations. And I just kept going to other festivals after in search of the spirit behind Woodstock Festival. The origin was this. There was a few young men. One was Michael Lang. You probably saw this in the documentary. He was riding a motorbike. And he was wearing like a tassel top. And he kind of looked like Jim Morrison. So these young men wanted to organize a festival at a farm. They expected a few hundred, or at most a few thousand of people. But it turned out to be a beautiful accident. A few hundred thousand of people came, and it became a thing for the youth worldwide. The spirit behind was, of course, in line with a few significant movements in the U.S., like fighting for freedom, equality, as well as the civil rights movement. Since Martin Luther King, they have all been pursuing the I have a dream spirit. And of course, the U.S. was still fighting in the Vietnam War. Yes, correct. It impacted an entire generation of young people. They didn't understand why they were drafted and sent to fight a so-called righteous war far away from home. And that led to some rebellious force, especially during those few years. There were already many student movements around the world. People wrote rock and roll music to criticize the world. Bob Dylan also swapped his country guitar to a rock guitar. This led to a lot of criticism and inspired a new generation of youth culture. Why was America acting like the world's police? What could they represent and discover with their music? If you look at people like Joan Baez, in modern terms, she and her husband are the veterans. They protested with their folk songs during the labor movement, and they even went to jail because they refused to pay taxes. It was beyond lip service. They were invited to perform the music they believed in on stage, along with bands like Jefferson Airplane and Jimi Hendrix. Both were legends of the so-called psychedelic rock genre and were very trendy. Hendrix had his head wraps and Japanese kimonos, and Grace Lake of Jefferson Airplane was an icon in her own right. Their song White Rabbit could be featured in many Vietnam War movies, including iconic works like from Oliver Stone, White Rabbit also became a classic that explored the theme of psychedelia. These musicians, along with Carlos Santana, were all very young. His music blended African rhythms and Latino guitar and percussion together. If you listen to his song So Sacrifice Today, which lasts a good 10 minutes, that's what made him shine on the world stage. Woodstock became a platform that offered a variety of genres and people yearned for diversity and freedom. When it was close to the 80s, I had just started working in the field of media and radio as a DJ. I was fortunate enough to be in contact with many different musicians or producers, and they all had this idea of going back to Woodstock in search of the so-called Great Utopianism. When I went there, as a curious young man, I saw people even younger than me, and I was at the end of my 20s. They were also teenagers and families, as well as the older generations who have been attending since the first Woodstock. They may have already been grandparents then, but they still went and looked trendier than ever. It's really an intergeneration or cross-generational movement. As for Hong Kong media, amongst all the ones that I know, I was more or less the only one that worked in the radio and magazine. So with the magazine, I got a backstage pass and I went to the press conference Michael Lang asked if anyone had any question, and I remember I asked a question. The reporter from the USA Today came over after and said, I think you are the only Asian journalist here. I was interviewed for that, 
and it was included in a small column on USA Today. It's a beautiful memory. When you believe in something, you want to bring it back home, so I made a prominent feature out of it. Besides, handheld cellular phones weren't universal yet, so I had to go to the hotel every time to make a call back to the commercial radio and talk to my partners back then, Fai Hong Chen and Brian Lam. I would say, Oh, I said hello to Bob Dylan up close and personal. And then I saw Nine Inch Nails rolling in the mud on the air. They would broadcast what I had told them. And because the internet was limited in 1994, everyone was on their radios listening to music and getting the news. Fortunately, I decided to do a somewhat of a live report. Usually, you go live to report news, but not quite about a music festival. Yes, yes. I was hooked and try to attend a festival once or twice a year. Since 1969, it has found a way to arouse people's curiosity. People can represent various things, music, fashion, culture, and even something more solemn, both on and off stage. There were also things about associations like Greenpeace and Amnesty International, as NGOs have booths for exhibition at festivals like this. Cock and Flap eventually came to Hong Kong. And so far, it's the closest things to the real deal. It's been held continuously, and seeing it in its 11th year is really exciting. I'd like to ask something. You mentioned that music and Woodstock influenced the ways you conduct projects. But what I'm even more interested in is, how has your daily life changed after your experiences at festivals? After I came back from 1994's festival, I told our editor, Feng Lai Chi, and art director, Wing Sha, about my experience, and we turned it into a feature, a dozen pages long, I remember I also wrote about my experiences for City Magazine. I think recording these events motivated me. Whether it's just seeing, tasting, or smelling, I don't want to say that's it and call it a day after I enjoy something. I want to voice my views with my work, and that's why I still believe in my work as a DJ to this day. I still work part-time, and I do a live show every Saturday. I think this is truly my lifelong passion, and I intend to carry on. And even though I'm writing less nowadays, I still pick up a pen whenever I get a chance. What you believe since day one, you will continue. The second thing is, and I've talked about this briefly, I ask myself if something like this would be feasible, and how can I organize one? In 1995, on the 15th anniversary of John Lennon's death, I told my colleagues at CRHK about my idea of trying to organize a music festival. There's a grass in the HKUST. And it has a similar vibe when it comes to venue. A bunch of bands from mainland China came, like Choi Jen and Dada Wah, as well as Anodize and Taiji, but beyond was a no-show. There were some music workshops, like the harmonica workshop by William Tang. All of this was inspired by Woodstock Festival in 1994 and Glastonbury Festival in 1995. What is Glastonbury Festival like? It began when a farmer called Michael Evans got inspired by Woodstock in 1969. So he threw the first Glastonbury Festival in 1970. The ticket was something like a pound, and the event came with a glass of milk because he kept cows there with his wife. Now that his wife passed away, he's now organizing the event with his daughter. It's something in the UK with long traditions, and it has been held even more times than Woodstock now, only taking a break every now and then, every year or two. Otherwise, it's always on. When I went there in 1995, it's also its 25th anniversary. The lineup that year was also memorable. Jarvis Cocker, Pop, Oasis, 
put his head and go this drum and bass. I got a backstage pass too. I took pictures everywhere and interviewed anyone I could. This is another beautiful memory. This influenced me as a person even up until today. As I often reflect, what could I do after attending this music festival? And what could I share with people? It's not like a selfie, a film photo, or a digital photo. If I share these things with my students, they will say that these stories are far from them. I want to put myself in their shoes and tell them that this experience is not too far away from them. If you can't see that, you could go to Fuji Rock, which is closer and has a similar vibe. I believe the energy has been passed on. Fuji Rock started in 1997. Summer Sonic just celebrated its 20th anniversary. And many other festivals in Japan or even in Taiwan in spring share the same spirit. They are held in open spaces in nature with many stages and different people coming together. In those few days, it's like utopia. There are so many examples. At Glastonbury, there was an outdoor spa and outdoor massages, as well as a hot spring where organic tea was served. Due to the festival's proximity to Stonehenge, the entire place had an atmosphere like Avalon. Besides that, there were many tree sculptures, many of them beautifully crafted. It's more than a music festival. It was like experience an Eden garden on Earth. I also know the organizer of Cock and Flap. He wants to achieve that. And the event is getting better and better. They have things like a family site and the children have free entry. It's more than just a show to post online. There are art installations and they pay attention to food especially. The food was characteristic, not luxurious, but also more than just junk food. The drinks were also distinctive and something as simple as a cider or handcrafted beer can put a smile on someone's face. All the cultural elements makes it a very holistic experience and more things were spun up just the way it was at Woodstock. I had to go buy some tie-dye shirts, even though I'm not wearing one today. I also had the hairstyle just like the psychedelic guys from Grateful Dead. And I resembled Harley riders, even though I didn't ride. The whole look makes you feel about punk and grunge rock and how it impacted style and how they influenced other young people as a part of the subculture and as a genre of music. I play Smells Like Tin Spirit today and 18, 19 year olds will love it and recognize it as part of Nirvana's discovery even though the song is 20, 30 years old from 1992. The same goes for even older tracks from the 60s. If you can find something in common, you can connect. A real connection. Yes, totally. I believe in the spirit of music. Peter asked me if I was disappointed earlier on and if my view of life has changed. But I think I have become more optimistic and more proactive. I believe there's hope even though Hong Kong has withered us and we could still hold on to that no matter what. People suffered back then as well. There was the Vietnam War and the thought of that leaves me in awe. There was frustration. It was hopeless and frustrating, and so some chose to escape and get high, while others preferred to be proactive and started creating works in film or music. I think it's now an unstable time, and I believe that people should remove themselves from materials, not saying to cut your expenses, but we should also aim to strike a balance. I like to take care of my appearance, so after wearing some nice clothes or something, maybe I can also try to see them from a different perspective. How can I DIY tie-dye garments? What was the reason behind it? 
it's important to communicate with young people so we can understand their disappointments and their hopes to see how we can find a balance. You mentioned that you held a course about Woodstock at school. Yes. Can you share your feelings after that? Since I have done quite a few times, I was touched. After its 25th anniversary, I did a series of talks at the university. Oh, really? I had done a series already at that point. I see. You were doing it already. After coming back in 1994, I went to a few universities and brought a few bands over with me. I did this with the same purposes at the 50th anniversary. I interacted with the students and shared stories from my experience. They had their own thoughts to add and perhaps could see some things differently than I did. We all have our own opinions. And because music is so accessible these days, the bar is so low. Yes, correct. They probably listen to more music than I do, like actually binge listening. Yes, yes. When I listen to their stories, there are such a wide vibrations of perspectives, whereas when the internet wasn't so accessible, it was more one-sided. You could share your thoughts with an individual, but it's different now. Even at my age, I'm still a young boy at heart. And of course, the younger generation can easily absorb more than I can. The only difference is life experience. So if you are watching videos online or you are listening to a lot of music, I continue to advocate and encourage the kids to go to festivals. If you ever get a chance, go to the 50th anniversary of an event. In person. If you can't physically make it to one festival, go explore somewhere else. Last year, I went to Summer Sonic with a few students since a few of their favorite bands were on the lineup. We had so much fun that year. We are planning to meet again there. But back to Woodstock. I streamed the documentary for four weeks. You know, it's three or four hours long at the standard cut, and the extra long version lasts around six to seven hours. So as we were watching, I would highlight the important parts and skip the irrelevant. I would also bring in the vinyls so that the student could focus on the music aspect and not only the screen. A lava lamp was included to emphasize the mood and vibrations of the 60s, so I could tell them about the marijuana culture. In some places in the US, like Hawaii, marijuana is legal, however limited to medical use. I wasn't going to hide the object Bob Marley was holding on in his hands. At university level, I wasn't going to avoid the conversation and sweep it under the rug. Instead, we should acknowledge the topic. I'm open to a discussion, and that's how we should interact freely, whether or not we agree or disagree. So I'm glad that I was able to do that. After the course, I was delighted. I've been in the industry for more than a few decades, and now I'm hosting talks at the universities. In the last four or five years, there was also a revival in vinyls. Vinyls were prominent in the 50s until the end of the 80s. But then there was the evolution of the CDs, and now the vinyls are back. After digitization, people wanted to find something tangible and organic. The revival of vinyls took place in the last 20 years. More than a decade ago, and since digital culture started, there's been a second win. Yes, yes. Especially in the disc jockeying and hip-hop. Vinyls are even more celebratory now. There's an annual record store day. There is also a special edition of Woodstock this year. A lot of old students of mine, not all, but ones that graduate or even some were still in school and had a bit of spare cash because of a part-time job. They would spend their money on vinyls. Now the bar is set low. With only a thousand or two, you can get a vinyl player. So they started to purchase. 
I loved that. They thought it was noisy, and maybe even some took it for granted. It was funny. One asked after placing the vinyl, "Why there wasn't any sound?" I replied, "Because it's an analog world. You don't just put it on the player and it plays. It's like pressing the keys on the phone. Well, this is the needle, and you have to count the cuts. There's side A, track one, two, three, four, and then you have to maintain the vinyl and wipe the dust." After fiddling for a while, they went, "Wow, this is really fun." It's like antique thing that eventually became trendy. Many of them examined, touched, and listened to the vinyls for the first time. I told them, "Come and become disc jockeys themselves." I had a box of CDs and vinyls; they could come and play anytime. Some would even come and live stream the video content. And since I had a lot of students from mainland China or elsewhere, they thought this was something magical. This was just our day-to-day -day routine. It's a kind of like an exchange similar to going to Woodstock. The people with upbringings in the West take music festivals as their culture, as their backyard. However, for some of us, some things aren't that accessible. I think so. But at that time, it's like we were going on a pilgrimage, and they took it very seriously. When I would get my annual leave, I would hop and go back to New York City to HMV for a bunch of special editions or T-shirts. It's like a safari for a tourist. I'm curious about how information was accessed when technology wasn't available. There wasn't an abundance of apps to organize events, and at that time, if you wanted to gather people at one place for an event, the whole concept is pretty amazing. Yes, at that time, events relied heavily on music magazines. We had monthly subscriptions, and after each pilgrimage, we would devour them. And radio. Yeah, we had that responsibility, especially DJs who were big fans of the West. So we have to look into it to death, and the international department of record companies were quite active. There's been a small comeback these last couple of years because demand of vinyls happened, and digitization subscription is now the model where you can earn money. You can pay around twenty dollars, and you could make a live stream happen. From 1997 to the early 2010s, record companies weren't doing so great. So I had the opportunity to experience a few thriving years in the 90s up until 1997. A lot of people asked me why I was always out of time, and how did I find the money to go to see these shows? But it really wasn't because I had money or anything. It was because I was collaborating with record companies. If there's a press conference somewhere or a live show, they would invite a few radio stations for interviews. Either live interviews or to record, edit, and playback. We launched our own magazine for two years. I had a few features there, but since it ended, I continued writing for other publications. Since we all know how eager I can be, the flow of communications have evolved into an explosion of information. Yet some people still get cut off. They would lose their sense of way somehow, and that's still one type of loss, right? So I thought to myself, did I justify my responsibility of passing on history? Why don't I just stop writing? But that's not the case. I'm a teacher, or put it this way, I'm a big brother figure. <laughs> I have to provide guidance and talk and have fun with my students. The possibilities to do this are limitless right now. This could be another revival of something like the post 70s era, and vinyl could replace paper media. Yeah, and going back to what Chi Chung said, because of the existence of the internet. Everyone is drowning in the virtual world, and we need to filter and reconnect with reality. 
whether it's a physical or a life aspect. Polaroids and film cameras. Yeah, they are more circulated now. More importantly, it's not about the object itself. The process of playing a vinyl leads into the conversation as to how you should listen and live through music. It's not about the song or music necessarily, but the journey. Right. I need to borrow the four-letter words from Professor Yuji Sakamoto, BTTB, back to the basics. Before the arrival of the new millennial in the 90s, he had an album called Back to the Basics, and he just celebrated his 20th anniversary. So Back to the Basics is something, well, you know how avant-garde he is in terms of his concept. He grew up in the 60s and studied at the University of Tokyo and experienced something that I described earlier on. If one is well-educated, and you know that the university students in Tokyo were greatly influenced. Whatever influence they learned in school will stick with them even today. If you follow his post, he talks about anti-nuclear, pollution, democracy, election, and the environment. He's still an activist today and takes action because even at that time, and we will talk about Woodstock to a certain extent, it has nurtured many leaders and they continue to impact other leaders in the field. I think all of us here are similar to like uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto, especially with what he's been active with recently. Since he was unwell for a while, his boldness and how busy he keeps himself, only one can respect that, right? It's really worth mentioning. Apart from that, John Lennon was an important figure. From his looks to his action and songs like Imagine, Everything comes together to solidify his place. If I had to choose a figure in the East, I would still say it's Ryuichi Sakamoto. He walks the talk. On one hand, he hates materialism and is very philosophical. While on the other, he likes to take care of his looks. He was very handsome back then and still is, even after losing so much weight. Ryuichi is very good friends with Yoji. Every time I see him at a meal, at work, or at a show, I see his charm and energy radiating. The cyst from my 60s sprouted, and it's very much the same for my students now. I was touched by his documentary, Coder, and it really resonated with my university and secondary school students too. Recently, I played a movie during a university course, and even though many mainland students had never heard of him, they would still be blown away by his craft. Mun Jun Hong did a post, screening talk, and we've spoke about stories growing up and friendship. A lot of people think what he's doing is amazing or beyond imagination, but it really drove people to think how one idea could grow from one simple principle is actually something very human. It's freedom. For example, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, Alpha Norto. You could hear something different between those two sounds, a sink, on the other hand, is something very ambient and highly concentrated. It's very contemplative. His work, extremely diverse. I also did Bossa Nova that year in the Casa era. Yes, yes, that was Casa. Yes, yes, also the home of Antonio Carlos Jobim. Only yes. Yes, or he did something orchestral or with dance. It's a very wide range. Since his 99 multimedia opera, I know he's been doing something new now. That was life, and maybe the next one will be out next year. He's working with uh, Shiro Takatani on that, his second dream, the second opera. I hope it will come to life soon. It seems music has inspired you through many walks of life. I like to the Joyce podcast of Live Curiously. 
If I ask you to define that, or to come up with your own interpretation, how do you live curiously? Hmm. It's absolutely a doctrine and a belief of my life. I still think I'm a young man, or hipster. Basically, I have the same mindset as when I was actually young and curious. Now that I think about why I like Woodstock, I like YMO, David Sylvian, Ryuichi Sakamoto, and I love David Bowie back then too. Their looks caught my attention, and I was curious about how they created their sound, right down to the specifics of how they could sing in such low pitches and still maintain a nice register. Why were there so many punk bands in the UK? When computers weren't accessible, I read books or magazines to accumulate information. After a while, the idea will evolve and become my own thing. I don't dare to call it knowledge, but I think it's just curiosity. It drives me to go see live performances after going through recordings. I still remember the first important live show was during HKCEE. A band from England called Japan flew to Hong Kong and performed at the university's hall, and it was David Sylvian's band. It was hard for me to save 90 Hong Kong dollars, but I did it. It was trendy that time, since Tindrum was all about the Orient, Chinese tunic suits, Mao's images. So I borrowed my brother's tunic suit and went to watch the show. What a match! Right back then, the MTL had just opened. And I was living in Kuantong, so I bought my friend's Walkman to record. And it was then I made my first bootleg. I went full gear. I even borrowed a SLR camera to shoot. It was my first time watching a live concert, and I was about 16 or 17 years old. It was life-changing. I decided back then, when I had a chance, I would travel abroad to see bands or see shows whenever bands would come to Hong Kong. I had to see them. That's what I collate to when you say live curiously. Even now, I still do. I have students that are disc jockeys themselves. There's a medical student and a BA student in my class. Just a few days ago, they told me that they would host a party on campus. I said, "Great! I will come and support." These are the interactions we have. These are university students, and this type of curiosity makes me think that it can help us discover new possibilities. Recently, I revisited Paul Smith and designers like Yoji and Drisman Notum. I quite like them, especially since Paul Smith came to Hong Kong last year, and I met him for a meal, and we reconnected. I think he's an interesting man. I used the handkerchief he designed. His concepts range from Hawaiian island cultures to everything else, and even something as small as a handkerchief can represent a creator's concept. He also likes Bowie. There was a 50th anniversary edition of Space Oddity released, and unfortunately, I couldn't find it in Hong Kong. And he had a friend who was on the way to the UK send one here along with a wear Black Star T-shirt to me. I cried when I received the gifts. It's not like I'm taking advantage, but that that was the friendship we have. I think it wasn't from him directly, but sometimes his assistant would be next to him. The assistant is very young. And he recognized this person because he worked with Bowie and produced a Mandarin song seven years in Tibet. We have this kind of connection. I think after living in this city for decades and having done some small projects that would echo in history, as I work with some foreign producers and musicians, it's quite an amazing fit. There's always possibilities that you can't think of when you converse with young people, and that's the story I want to tell. 
Thank you, Chi-Chung. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad we got the chat. <laughs> that was a good point. Could this idea inspire us to pursue more? Going back to Chi-Chung's comment, it is good to reflect what we experienced. After a decade or two, we should pick it up again and rediscover new meanings. As Chi-Chung said, he thinks it's a year of materialism. But for him, it's also more of a philosophical idea. You don't have to enjoy something that is physical, but you should be enjoying something regardless. Material things allow us to enjoy and reflect on the meaningful things in our lives, so that we're able to enjoy the process of living. An object is merely an object, a physical and tangible thing. Actually, the space between us and the object, if you look from a different angle, you can discover something new and different. Yes, like what Chi-Chung said, I don't think it's about the activity itself, but it's about the purpose and dreams behind the idea. That's the source for inspiration in the present and future. It's like Woodstock existed because of music. After the development in the last 50 years, music has become a part of our daily routine and culture. It's a culture itself. As Chi-Chung said, he was introduced to different characters and sounds of the world like in Japan, the UK, and Hong Kong. Since the development of the internet evolved, music festivals have become more popular because people want to experience and live outside the virtual world. An event that happened 50 years ago has become a global culture and has truly grown to what it is today. Thank you for listening to the Joyce Live Curiously podcast series, Live Connected. We look forward to sharing more stories with you in the Hong Kong series. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.